Okay, what's up guys? Uh, I'm your host Sean um, and today I've got Dan who's a good friend of mine. It's been a while since I've done um, my last podcast but I'm really excited. I could talk to him for hours. We'll try and cap it off and, and keep it as limited as possible to keep you guys as engaged. Um, so Dan, you know the ritual. I think you've seen my uh, videos before. Seen most of them, mate. So obviously you have gin, but I've got vodka. If you're okay to do vodka, we can... Let's do it. Let's, let's do it, man. Go. Good man. How'd you come up with taking shots? Or is it just in the name so you well, started doing it? Yeah, it was in the name. This was during COVID. And I was like, yeah, I was bored. So I was like, let's just do shots and do a podcast and nice. see where it goes. So nice. most guests actually don't actually drink that much, but a few of them. I feel like the circle you're in, right? Exactly. Good football club one. Just play for yes. Lucky Mile. There you go. I got roots at the club. Okay. Cheers, man. man. Cheers. Oh, God. Rolling back the years with shots. <laughs> Listen, I just want to kind of get into a few things. There's a lot of people that I can't really have too many philosophical conversations with, but mm. I think you and I can kind of relate because we went on a similar path with sport and then we went, through, went on a similar path with injuries, obviously different muscles and joints. But um, for people who don't know, maybe you can explain what had happened a few years ago about your serious back injury. Because I know a lot of people are interested in how to, they get really down, depressed, and they're somewhat mm. lost. And they don't know how to get back from their injury. And it's very, it's a big psychological blow to them. So maybe you can, you can kind of dispel your story a little bit and, and see how you got back. So we did the... Yeah. So basically, I mean... Like you, I was playing football, right? Young. And then, I, I mean, also it's probably because we're so young, you don't really get injuries. So I'd never really got a serious injury until um, my back injury. So knees were good, hammies good, you know, the typical football injuries. And then, so I used to associate injuries with um, like a weak body. Like that's, in my in my head, it used to always be like, oh, it's because... You didn't play any football this week. Suddenly you played a game. That's why he pulled his hammy, that kind of thing. And then um, after a while, I realized every time I bent over, it got worse on the hamstring. And then slowly, lo and behold, it was a... So it was, what it was diagnosed with was the L5 S1 discs were, okay. were moved, right? And um, I do remember an incident in the gym where we were doing, you know... 19 year olds doing deadlift in the gym and then they kind of tweaked so it was, it was that kind of thing so long story short um went ahead and got back surgery and at the time because i didn't really know much about the spine and back surgeries or anything like that what the doctor prescribed me was basically what they do is they do microsurgery and they get rid of the disc material that's pushing on the nerves which mm -hmm. is why i was feeling it in the hamstring and so it got to the point actually prior to the store uh, surgery where I couldn't even get out of bed properly like it was okay if I didn't have to get out of bed I'm gonna stay in bed today and so I was at a breaking point and then I decided to get surgery with recommendation by two or three doctors I'm gonna so once the surgery happened um, you know obviously they went it's a success it's all good and it was only about six months in well first of all they prescribe you pain medication for the first two, three months. So you don't really know how the uh, successful the surgery's gone because for those next few months, all you're, you're kind of drugged up a bit. Yeah. 
And so it was on, wasn't until about six months in where I started feeling my back go again. And I'm like, can I swear? I'm like, shit. I'm like, there's no way. Um, because, you know, what you get prescribed is a surgery is going to fix your back problem. What it is, the nerves are getting touched. So we're going to remove it and you'll be fine. And then after that, I still felt back pain, man. It was, it was crazy. Um, so that was my injury. And that kind of stopped me from playing football at all, basically. Okay. Yeah, man. I feel, I don't want to discredit surgeons because they put a lot of effort and time in their, to their studies and their craft. But I feel they're very trigger happy. And obviously I did my ACL and my meniscus and obviously that was a very aggressive traumatic experience on the body. So I had to do it anyway, but I felt I could have waited a bit longer, get more opinions and probably get a surgeon that was more localized for knees because the surgeon that did my knee did a decent job, but it's almost like he just wanted me, wanted to do that surgery. So it's on his resume. Little did I know that this guy is not necessarily a specialist in knees. He does shoulders, he does ankles, he does everything. So just because a surgeon has many surgeries under his belt doesn't mean he's a specialized surgeon in mm -hmm. the actual joint. Mm -hmm. But um, it's interesting in your case because what had happened is obviously you had done the surgery and can I ask, did you regret doing that or? In hindsight, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, like, as you know, I was playing professionally then, right? Mm. Um, Sorry, guys. Um, before you, for the viewers who don't know, Dan was a professional footballer who played for Lehman, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And you also played abroad in the UK. Yes, I played a bit in UK and Spain. Um, but really, it was full-time professional, as in getting paid a decent salary in Hong Kong for Lehman. Yeah. Okay, great. And you were, what was your position? Center mid? So at the time, it was center <laughs> mid um, until I went to football club uh, when I came back to Hong Kong. And then I got moved further up the field because I had pace, which is not something I was renowned for growing up, right? And then once I moved to Lehman, I kind of played in forward positions. But yeah, okay. so I tried to make a career out of it, basically. Right. He's, good. He's a good player. He's being modest, but... Mm. Um, sorry, going back to your thing. So, yeah, so you would say in hindsight you regretted doing that surgery? Yeah, man. Which is really, I mean, I don't know how I feel about it because I, my back's way better now and I did the surgery. So, logically, you, I would assume that because I did the surgery and I feel good now that it had a role to play, right? Um, but to be honest, and I think I shared this with you before, um, I feel like a lot of my injuries was psychosomatic. So mm. it was a lot of, you know, it's to do with the mental side of things. Yeah. And, you know, just to fast forward a bit. So after the six months where I actually did the surgery, where I started feeling pain again, because at this point I still wanted a career in football, right? I thought, finish the surgery, you know, and I had a team lined up to sign with and it was okay. You did the, I did the surgery in May and in the January transfer window, we're going to sign and you know, it, it's two year and everything's going to be great. Um, and then it came about November, December time where I was, I'm running and I'm feeling my back go and I feel my hamstring. I'm like, okay, I'll rest a couple days, but it just, it got worse. Mm. And then I started thinking like, and I'm that type of person who, you know, I overthink things, right? So I, I started going like, oh, maybe I, the disc slipped even more. I'm going to have to do it all again. And I do a lot of research. That's just my nature. So I read a lot. I do a lot. And so I, I realized that the success rate for a lot of these back surgeries is quite low. 
which is really interesting because that's like your knee. It's one of the things they prescribe right away. It's an invasive surgery. And so after they did the surgery, I thought, yes, that's the way to go. After I read this, however, I thought, wow, so maybe the surgery hasn't done much. So I thought, okay, what's the alternative? And, you know, um, I'm all, I'm all like my mom was growing up very much about horoscopes and, you know, alternative medicine. She's that kind. So yeah, I'm yeah. very, I'm well exposed to that. Um, and then, so I started reading about how a lot of, um, chronic injuries, so long-term injuries have something to do with the learned behavior. And so I started reading a lot about, um, how if you were to pluck someone, so if they took a hundred people off the street um, under the age of 30 and they were to ask um, whether they felt back pain, all of them said no and you were to do a scan. MRI scan, right? MRI scan. So a ridiculous amount, something like 30% of them would show that the discs have moved, which is what I got diagnosed with, Mm. a slip disc. And then as you go up in years, so you go to 40s and 50s, this numbers increase to 50% or something like that. And after you go to about 60s or 70s, it's something like 90% of individuals who experience no back pain show symptoms of a slipped or moved disc. So once I read that, I'm like, wow, because my back pain, I'm told, is from slipped discs, right? Yeah. And to be then... Um, you know, to then find out that actually a lot of people have this if they were to go under MRI. So I started reading about, you know, the origins of chronic pain. And then I fell into the whole cycle of um, emotional trauma and um, learned behaviors cause a lot of the prolonged pain in the body. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think uh, obviously you actually prescribed the book to me, uh, The Mind-Body Prescription. Yeah. And I've really dived into it and it's uh, it's fascinating because um, it all makes complete sense to me. Obviously, there is some pullback from a biomechanical perspective. If you're not moving in the right way, there'll be pain. But whatever you did to do your surgery, I think you're reacting of pain. And yeah. pain is a real mechanism to make you how you feel. I mean, mm-hmm. the other day, like I, I don't, I can, I can manage pain fairly well. You know, I'm, I'm an athlete. I box. I, I, I do a lot of like high adrenaline stuff. So my pain threshold is fairly high. My elbow flared up the other day, and I did a cortisone injection. A lot of people said uh, it's, uh, it was not the best thing, but I'm reacting off pain. You know. Yeah. So my, like at that point, maybe I was fatigued and tired. So I don't think. I would, I would disagree in the sense that I think whatever action you did maybe is not regrettable because in, in fact, in hindsight, you learn a lot about more about your body. Sure. But obviously the book that, that Daniel had recommended me, was it's really interesting because Dr. Jay Serrano, who is the guy who wrote the book, yeah. right? He talks about all these, uh, these types of diagnosis, you know, like scoliosis, um, slip discs, um, sciatic nerve uh, syndrome, whatever mm-hmm. it is he all basically dismantles this and say it's all down to psychosomatics um, problems. Yeah. And he says, obviously, TMS, which is... Um, if, tension myositis syndrome. Yes, tension yes. myositis I've read syndrome. a lot about that, yes. He, and he talks about, like, it's basically, that's what it's related to. It's all based on trauma-related work, um, especially for the back. And he actually, funny enough, he talked about TMJ, which is temporal mandibular joint. Um, dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? No, what is that? So I had that like 
I think about three years now. And that was a, a, a very like stressful time for me. And actually reading that book now, it makes complete sense. I had no trauma to my jaw at all. Yeah, I boxed here and there, but it was an onset of me clenching down at night. And then that caused me to have that clicking. And it was all a very psychoactive thing. And I'm like, even, even, even the dentist that I went to was like, yeah, you just need to relax. And this over two years after time, it just went away. Um, and it was insane. That's interesting. So, and he wrote TMJ. Obviously, mine was not too much of a pain-related thing. It was more of a, a movement thing that was just fucking, fucking with my mind a little bit. But it was, it was good to see that that actual symptom almost correlates with TM, uh, TMS. So. It, that's, yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't think, because, you know, Dr. Sarno's work is predominantly with back pain, right? Yes. But I think what he describes is back pain is very much a 20, 20th century or 21st century phenomena. So, you know, he has really interesting studies. And one of them which really stuck to me was, so before when there was West and East Germany, right? So they had, um, they had whiplash in West Germany. So the idea is, and whiplash is when you get into a car accident, they say your neck and your spine moves in a certain way where you get prolonged muscle pain, this and all of this stuff, right? Um, however, in a lot of the countries who don't, um, the prognosis is not whiplash, where they don't even have that in their dictionary yet. After cases of car crashes, patients are completely fine. Whiplash did not exist because they didn't have the word in the actual mm, dictionary. Okay, okay. And then they can see an actual progression where once Germany unified, the, the word whiplash became synonymous with the country and synonymous with actual car crashes. Then the rate of whiplash cases skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, right, and it's the same with what Dr. Sarno says about back pain is, when you prescribe the idea that there is a problem with your body, more people subscribe to that idea and more people self identify with that pain and then you start telling yourself that you have a problem your body starts reacting a certain way and then you start feeling actual pain from it yeah no no with doubt i totally i mean i'm a big uh, culprit of this is like i went to go see my physio and i was freaking about my elbow and funny enough my right foot started to hurt and adam reeson who i did a previous podcast with he was just like you would tell any young athlete like you know having a niggle playing professional football, he would not think twice about going to the physio. Yeah. He would not think twice about getting some sort of rehab. He's just like, yeah. it's just a niggle and I'll get on with it. But when you're in that kind of loophole where you're now, you have an injury that's caused you a chronic problem, there's a cascade of events that might follow, you know, and your body will start to kind of... For sure. Start to elicit some sort of pain response. And not intuitively, like you're, it just happens, you know? And it's, it's, it's like a cycle. And your mind... This, the unconscious mind sometimes doesn't have logic anymore because it's scared of previous experience. So it yeah. tightens up in certain positions. As Dr. Serrano says in the book that joints and tendons, they have a lack of oxygen and blood supply that basically elicit that, that pain response. So that's what's potentially happening. It's, yeah. You're not supplying it because your brain is probably somewhat secreting a stress response, which probably is cortisol, which is, which is a stress hormone. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Most people know that cortisol is um, a catabolic 
hormone, but actually some cortisol is good. It helps you get along, yeah. get you going on throughout the day. But too much cortisol is not good. For sure. So, And I mean, it's interesting because mm. you're much more aware of actual the physiological mechanics of the body. Whereas for me, you know, I'm not schooled in that era. Oh. And then the fact that I'm reading all these things and it's all bro science and it's all anecdotal <laughs> for me, right? But then... You know, when I when it applies to someone like you, where you actually, because a lot of what Sarno talks about is the fact that there's lack of oxygen and there's lack of blood, like a lack of blood flow to certain parts of the body because you're holding on to stress and you're holding on to trauma. And then for you to then explain it like in a scientific way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, just to go back on it. So for me when i had the back problem and afterwards when i realized that post-surgery it was still a problem one of the uh, dr sarno's techniques is then to recondition your mind that you actually have nothing biomechanically wrong with your body wow which is a really hard hurdle to go across it's like a huge mountain where you really have to work towards in order to summit because the past 12 months prior to that all i kept all I've been told by doctors, all I kept thinking was there's actual structural um, imbalance. There's a structural problem with my body, right? And for me to undo that, it takes time. Mm. And so, I mean, I think we talked off camera before about how what I was actually doing. So it was like a lot of journaling. Like it was really basically conscious effort to tell myself that I am fine. I'm not actually injured. Whereas it, it was probably an injury before that caused the pain, but for the body heals naturally. The body will heal. If you have a broken bone, it will heal in the right circumstances. But what prevents the healing, according to these um, doctors who subscribe to the idea, is the fact that you're holding on and your nervous system understands that it's a learned behavior. So when you wake up in the morning, you tell yourself or your, your subconscious tells yourself that you should be feeling pain yes which is very interesting and you know I'm, I'm no doctor but what i find is a lot of times when i drink alcohol right when i'm feeling a certain way or when i wake up in the morning and i have that 10 minutes of real the consciousness is turned off and i'm, I'm just feeling what i'm feeling at the moment okay. and especially during that time after surgery i had zero pain and it wasn't until i thought "Ooh, am i feeling back pain right now that the back pain started to come so when I drink alcohol, all the thoughts, you know, you know, the consciousness kind of shuts off. It's a mm -hmm. inhibitor and you feel a certain way and everything is done, you know, on autopilot almost. Right. When you're on that stage, you don't feel the pain anymore. Right. Which is interesting. So once I had that kind of confirmation bias for myself, I started thinking like, OK, there might be some truth to this. And then I, so I really hopped on the train of. This could be a psychosomatic problem. And I mean, lo and behold, two, three months later, I went from even after post-surgery being stuck in bed to feeling no back pain afterwards. Wow, that's incredible. And there was no physical intervention involved. Yeah. And uh, so this was through, through uh, journaling, yeah. through basically doing a lot of mental uh, character building. Mental push-ups. Mental yes. push-ups. Yeah. And also, should we do another shot? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> if you, if, let's do it. You talked about alcohol, so I was like, let's recover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you just tell me when to stop. I'm, I'm not going to force you, so. Fuck. Oh, good, man. And to be honest, 
if alcohol makes my back feel better, <laughs> then I mean that's then no, prescribe it. Okay. Cheers, man. Cheers, good man. Cheers. Taking off what what you said earlier about journaling, mental push up, basically to get your body back to recovery. I mean, obviously we've we've hung out a lot, and you talked a lot about the nutrition side, mm. and this was really interesting to me. And I told this to actually a lot of my clients who who honed in on it and actually were, were quite receptive about it. And and for me, I've done a decent amount of studies on nutrition and I'm, I'm interested in it. So when you told me about this, I was like, wow, maybe there's something I could actually put into my, uh, my lifestyle and my habits. Mm. So maybe you can explain that you, you, change, your, you change your nutrition and did that, did that have a factor in how you healed your body or was it? For sure. Okay. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we'll go straight into it. Basically, mm. when I, so I moved to Shanghai um, two, three years ago. Yeah. And when I was in Shanghai, what I, and it's, you know, it's coincidence of events, right? Underneath my apartment was a big um, fresh food market, right? So the foods I was exposed to at the time, and it was a vegetable market. There wasn't a meat market or anything like that. And in in China, it's really easy for you just to order things online. But what I found was, okay, I had all these things I was exposed to. So I think for the first three weeks, all I pretty much ate was sweet sweet potato, veg, and maybe the occasional fish. That was pretty much my diet in the beginning. And then what I found was... Um, I mean, besides the fact that it's all whole foods, right? What I found was I actually felt a lot better in my own body. And there was a period of time when I was in Shanghai a couple of years back where I did feel, feel a bit of back pain. I think I was overdoing it in the gym. And I started listening to a guy called Rich Roll on the podcast. So he's a very famous athlete to lawyer turned athlete and he's a vegan activist, right? Okay. So he um, he's a champion for um, a plant-based diet. And so I decided to adopt that diet and see what it would feel like. And at the time, he mentioned a lot about how um, whole foods and lots of plants is really good for reducing inflammation. And this coincided with the fact that I read a lot about how joints and muscles are flared up because of the amount of um, inflammation that goes on in the body. So I thought, okay, let's give it a go. Let's see what it's like. And I think for about... For a good six months, I was almost completely plant-based. Oh, okay. And what I found from that was, first of all, I felt, and I, I hate this because when I when I listen to people and they go, yeah, man, I changed into plant-based, I felt so much better. I genuinely felt way better. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, two things I felt really good at. One was, you know, after lunch, you have that post-dip where you feel a bit lethargic, yeah. you feel, you know, fatigued. I didn't have that as much. But the second thing was, um, I mean, I can go on hours about how the gut, right? And the yeah. gut biome. But I felt so much better as in, you know, I mean, it's a taboo topic, but my my stool was so much better okay. afterwards as well. And I felt like the whole digestion system was working really well. So twofold, my inflammation went down a lot. And when inflammation goes down, my back pain decreases tenfold. Like yeah, it's well. way different. Yeah. So I kind of, I then, you know, tweaked the diet to 
you know, something that I felt was a balance between making sure I control my pain levels, but also enjoying life. So I will have the occasional drink and then I will eat, you know, the occasional meat. But predominantly now my diet is plant based, which is pretty much down to the fact that I feel a lot better physically, lack of pain, but also just mentally. There's a clarity, you know, like I said, there's no fatigue after lunch. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I love it because uh, the amount of uh, Andrew Huberman podcasts I've seen over the last <laughs> yeah. 10, 12 months, basically from almost every podcast and guest that he had on, a lot of the time it was all about the inclusion of fiber. Yeah, And that's what plant-based diets have. It's abundant in fiber. And what I've took from most of those podcasts and the guests that he's had on is he talks about how fiber obviously has a great role in basically getting the gut microbiome to run efficiently. Yeah. So when I talk about gut microbiome, he basically talks about how you can absorb nutrients really efficiently and then yeah. excrete it efficiently. Yeah. And that's why from a female hormonal perspective, from an athlete perspective, from an injury perspective, that's almost key. Uh, almost, I would say, linear to protein if you think about it. And I think that would, would, would have also helped with inflammation. Don't get me wrong. Also, a lot of people see inflammation as, oh, it's a bad thing. Again, inflammation, think about inflammation as a good thing. Like inflammation is needed to happen for you to have growth in the body. So let's say, for example, you do a set. I'm going off topic a little bit, but let's say you do a, 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 sets, a set of a barbell squats. You do four sets of eight. Mm. You induce inflammation there's a stress response, and then you recover as best you can. Yeah. The idea for inflammation is to be relatively low so you can grow, recover, those tendons and ligaments almost build up like calluses on your hands, yeah. and then you go again. But if the inflammation is too high, post-surgery, post-injury, that's where you want to reduce it through, obviously, that plant-based diet, and obviously, um, high fatty foods with omega-3s, omega-6s, which has got your salmons, your yeah. extra virgin olive oil, your avocados, and I and it's funny enough, I mean, I can ramble on for, for, for hours, but this is what I do with my clients. It's like you need to reduce their inflammation. So go back to that hunter-gatherer diet. Doesn't have to be plant-based, but that hunter-gatherer diet has fruits, vegetables in for it. Sure. Away from the processed foods. And you'll see your body, you'll see that the waistline just drop very quickly. And it's just it's it's not magic. It's just it's just there. And this it's incredible that how we as a generation has skipped the heartbeat and gone to processed foods and quick things quickly don't get me wrong there's a time and place for it i think you can earn you need to earn the right to have those things but if you're always injured or if you're always depressed that as you said from a cognitive perspective you felt better right for sure go back to it and there's going to be a dip because if there's any new stimulus and change you're going to have some sort of struggle some pullback but that pullback will, will eventually make you feel better. And I think people need to understand this and hear your story because I've had tons of injuries and I've done tons of rehab. And I think like just having real food and actually the end of my four-week cut that I did recently, yeah. I actually my inflammation went down on my foot, but only temporarily. For sure. But I mean, so. I mean, there's so many points I want to talk <laughs> about there. just because number one is, have you heard of... I mean, I don't want to go into liver king, but mm. you know the ancestral diet, but not so much that it's all meat based. But the fact that, so it's really interesting how 
the Asian demographic responds to taking in white rice very differently uh-huh. than the European Western um, demographic. So it's small things like that, almost making sure that, you know, and you know, the blue zone, are you familiar with that? So the blue zone is basically, um, and I'm probably butchering this, but it's so Japan, LA, there's certain different places around the world that um, tend to show a significantly longer lifespan than the rest of the world. And what they tried to do is they tried to align and figure out, okay, what are the similarities between these Um, demographics of people what they found out was the diet so the diet basically what they found is is a precursor to how long you live and most of these diets are mostly plant-based with fish wow so almost a pescatarian diet right okay and um so the inflammation part's very interesting because i've personally felt a decrease in inflammation on in my body but i also know there's a lot of evidence to suggest that if you want to reduce the likelihood of chronic illness in your future adopting a plant-based diet is the way to go interesting and this is without any sort of uh fish or or including so pescatarian omega-3s and i and i listened to a podcast <clears throat> recently which is fascinating so if you imagine if you start adopting your protein of your diet predominantly from fish what it allows is for a lot of the omega 3s and omega 6s to come yeah. in right and if you were to remove that and if you went to go on a vegan diet and there's no reason to suggest and i'm not suggesting the vegan diet's not the way to go yeah but um the analogy i i heard that was really fascinating was imagine your house was built with bricks and if you were to remove fish you're removing 25% of the house and that is your brain so your brain runs on a lot of omega-3s right yes. and so if you were to remove the fish from your diet it's like removing 25% of the bricks in your house and maybe putting styrofoam in as a replacement it will still stand and it will function but the time comes when it's put under stress that it might crumble okay so what i adopt a lot of now and i'm trying to but of course my you know I, I'm struggling to at the moment because, you know, I live in the city of Hong Kong and there's so much good food to eat. But mm. adopting predominantly a plant base and then introducing fish into the diet makes me feel very, very, you know, it makes me feel very cognitively focused at work. It makes me feel like I have almost little to no pain at all. Yeah, man. And I think it's something to something to do with the fact that our ancestors and because i am asian of asian descent they predominantly ate a lot of veg they ate a lot of grains and they ate fish as a staple for protein okay and i know the whole you know where do you get your protein from there's not complete protein in plants fair enough yeah but that's kind of what i do and i feel really good about it i i think uh I think you're spot on in, in in what you're saying is I think also a lot of people are not aware of what types of foods they're putting in their body and they just they're just going on autopilot especially yeah. in Hong Kong I think we're blessed to be around types of individuals to have access to education obviously you're someone I like to be around because you're interested in that topic and you know you, you can you can find ways to see how you can heal your injuries how to better yourself as a person mm. on a mental perspective <clears throat> i feel sometimes it's like i think people just just go through the motion 
um, especially yeah. in Hong Kong. They're just on autopilot, wake up, 9 a.m., go to work, eat their meal at lunch, go back home, TV and sleep. And I think people are trapped in this kind of like matrix loophole, you know. For sure, you man. I mean, it. you know what's <laughs> a big thing recently is the whole meal prep, which I, I love, right? But I no, no names. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a I'm a big proponent and like you said, of fiber, how important that role plays, right? So and again, I just like to preface it with the fact that I don't know what I'm talking about, but from personal experience, if when I include a plethora of different kinds of fiber, I feel way better. Mm. And I think it's and it's not too difficult. For example, in the morning if I have a multi-grain with yogurt that pretty much has four or five fibers in it and then i just make sure i have some sort of veg Got it. and i'm trying to reach and my goal always is which is mostly successful but there's weeks where i'm not doing very well it's just have 30 different kinds of fibers in my diet um because i really feel when i'm lacking in that leafy green or i'm lacking in fruits and veg and this is very personal. I feel the pain coming back up. Oh, wow. Okay. I can feel it creeping up a little bit. And we talked about cognitive focus. And I've been taking a lot of green supplements recently. And when I don't have that, and it could be a placebo thing, but I don't feel sharp in the daytime. And so okay. just knowing that, I try to, you know, fill my plate with plants if I can. Yeah, that's great. Um I would I would say touching on your point about the placebo effect, I think it's a, I think it's a real thing. I was never really so into it, but I started to read up a lot more and hear a lot on different stories. Um, one that particularly stands out was uh, Lane Norton, who's a strength and conditioning coach. Mm. He's also pretty high up in nutrition. He's a famous guy. He talks about the use of steroids. Yeah, and he there was a study done where he. They took, I think, about 50 individuals who took steroids and 50 individuals that took uh, basically steroids, but it was a placebo effect. Interesting. And there was an accelerated um, muscle growth in the 50 individuals that didn't actually take steroids. That's crazy. Which shows how strong the mind is. Going back to our conversation from the beginning of the podcast, how you can almost like, you can trick your mind into believing that you're okay with the, with the parameters of you know, like the ability of how, of course, how, yeah. how much you can, your potential, everyone is different, but it, it really shows. And I mean, it's weird. It's, it's, it's almost like I go back to the time where I was, I was training to, to basically play professional football. I kind of got on the fringe of it and stuff like that. But if my mental attitude was there, I think it's all, I mean, I, I, I now truly believe that it's, a lot of it is to do with the mental attitude of how you perform. Absolutely. You don't have to be that great of a player. You can have the basic, obviously you have to have the basic understanding of the game, of whatever sport you're playing. But if you have that mental fortitude of, I can do this, and then repeat. It's just like repeating. It's just like learning a language. Yeah. You, you can do the basics. Football is a very basic game, if you think about it. Yeah. If you know, for example, fullback, of all the fullbacks in the world, you know your position, you drill the position, you can overlap. Obviously, there's differences in the game. And you drill that a hundred times, you're going to get... You, look at Andy Robertson. He came from Hull. And he's been one of the best fullbacks the past four or five years. Was he an amazing player? No, he must have just drilled his, his technique hundreds and thousands of times. For sure. And there's a couple of points I want to talk <laughs> yeah. about. Number one was the fact... I mean, Andy Robertson, what a player. <laughs> but 
it's it's a, there's a dichotomy between him and Trent, right? Trent yeah. is a very much oh he has talent, he does the wonderful, but then now there's a lot of criticism about him, right? About can he defend? He doesn't produce as often. Andy Robertson, if you look at his game, and I don't mean to you know boil down his game to just the basics, but he does the basics really well. And I think there's something to it, the fact that football isn't that complicated. And it becomes complicated when you start introducing tactics and, you know, trying to do skills and all that. But if you can do the basics really well, and that's really hard to do. Like, let's not make it like basics is easy. Making sure you just have a good touch 99% of the time is incredibly difficult. But drilling down the basics, and if you're able to do that 90% of the time, you'll be a top, top player. Um, but another thing about placebo, and I, I learned this recently, was um, so they had, I mean, placebos have been looked at for ages. And I read a lot about it because I was trying to figure out whether my back pain was placebo, right? And so they had a study where it's basically in World War II when they had a lot of um, injured inf- infantry where they basically had to prescribe morphine in order for have to have some sort of pain relief from what was the trauma that was going on, physical trauma. And the doctors ran out of morphine. Fuck. So what they did was they um, prescribed a saline solution, so which was pretty much a salt and water, right? And what they found was a lot of the time after prescribing this, the patients felt immediate relief from it. Wow. <laughs> and I think they've, they've since then, right, looked at MRI and what they found was Actually, when you give um, a lot of the with medicine that actually works, there's certain parts of the brain that light up. But when you give a placebo, they feel the same way or like the same way as in terms of pain relief, but different parts of the brain light up. Okay. So the prefrontal cortex lights up a lot yeah. when it's placebo. Okay, that's the front of the brain, is it? That's the front of the brain. Yeah. And so, and then, which is really interesting, there's another study where they did, and I can go on about it for hours, so stop me when I do. But, <laughs> Um, what they found was, so they, what they did was they injected, um, a solution into the skin that causes irritants. So it had a lot of allergens in it. Okay. And what they did was they found that it would swell up and it'd be red, right? Yeah. And, um, so they, what they did was they give to one group of people, what they did was they gave, um, a solution, a cream and they put on and they said, this cream is the same solution we injected you in, but we want to see what it become, what happens when it's topical, when it's applied on the skin. And naturally what happened was the rash got worse and it got larger and the redness was more pronounced. Then they did the same thing and they gave it to the second group, but then they gave a cream that was um, supposedly, um, this is, we're we're trialing this cream and it's going to be much better for your skin. And it's what it's going to do. It's going to reduce the swelling by 90% and the redness by a lot. Right. Um, what they did was they apply it and lo and behold, the actual swell swelling and the redness decreased significantly. Wow. Obviously the caveat is the cream was the same for both groups, but it, it did, it was a lot to do with what the perception of the patient was. And it's clear now, like there's proof nowadays that a lot of the medical industry prescribes placebos as a last ditch effort because they know it actually has some efficacy to it, right? Yeah. And so knowing that, which is really difficult because if you know it's a placebo, it still works. But knowing that, I try to tell myself a lot of the time is plant-based diets, going back to that conversation, is really good for me. And whether it actually is or not, I know there's a placebo effect 
at play. So I feel a lot better naturally eating a lot more plants. Right. Which, I mean, because I feel better, I'm just going to stick with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you, you got to stick with what, what, what works for you. And I think at the end of the day, it's like, as you talked about perception, mm. I mean, I, I can go off tangent here, but um, I think as human beings, we all have different perceptions of reality on this earth. Mm. And I think it's like, as a human being, if you perceive something and if you could tell yourself something, what is real and what is not real, I think to a certain extent, you can create your own reality yeah. to its best possible potential. So what I mean by that is like, you know, from the start of our conversation about injuries and, you know, trying to trying to be the best version of herself is it is it to be the best player or the best husband or whatnot it's like if you keep repeating that i think we're, 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 we're as human beings we're so used to being like oh following orders in the job you do this as a project and just work on it you do this as a physical um, goal and just do this but i don't think we take enough time to actually work on our minds and mm just slow down a little bit and meditate. And I only recently I started doing this and um, I never was into meditation. I was never into yoga, but only now um, I started to meditate a little bit. It's not a lot. It's not a lot like what my brother do does. It's probably not a lot as much as you do, but it definitely has a profound effect on how I look at the world as reality today. For sure. So sometimes I'm with my clients and <laughs> don't kill me for this, but I'll be standing there at work and thinking like, none of this is kind of real. <laughs> I'll just kind of zone out. <laughs> yeah. I'll like be on my bike, which I should be fucking focusing on the road. And I'll be like, yeah, like, like I'll look up and I'll be like, yeah, look at the size of us. We're like kind of insignificant, yeah. insig um, like we're not even serious. We're not even real. Obviously, you should kind of do your best ability to be focused as best possible. But, you know, like we could talk on about a whole nother podcast about this, but I just want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I kind of want to wrap up a few things as we, we can go on and on. But like you obviously, again, recommend me a book called Meditations mm. by Marcus Aurelius. Really interesting books. It's, it's a bit dry, but absolutely um, incredibly dry. But yeah, I mean, he, I've, I've only got into it the past year, maybe about stoicism. And it's a lot to do with the Greek philosophers, right? But he talks about a lot about death and your duty yeah. about death and how it's yeah. imminent, how it's almost normal that you're born you're, you're, and death is around the corner. Yeah. Um, I want to know, like, just cap it off. Like, what's your thoughts on that? Because I don't think I've come to fully terms with it. And yeah. it, for me, it's very complex. You know, the unknown, the ability of losing a loved one and the how painful it is. It's just very, very foreign to me. But because I live in the now, that I'm anticipating the death because I, before I was born, I didn't, I, I was somewhat nothing. For sure. So, so I'm, there's a really good quote from meditations where it's, it's, I mean, it's a Greek translation. It's called memento mori, right? So it basically means the fact that remember you're going to die. And yeah. the idea is everything you experience now, just remember you're going to die. And so it gives a lot of meaning to life. So that's kind of what I hold on to at the moment is there is a finite amount of time we have. And, and I think it's 
it brings meaning to life because we have a certain amount of time that we have the motivation the the urge to pursue things right like for yourself to build you know something of yourself to make this podcast if you were to have an infinite amount of time you would say you would put it off to later it would be a very rudimentary idea and a system where you just be like, oh, whatever I feel at the moment I'm going to do because I have endless amount of times to pursue whatever. Mortality. Exactly. But the fact that you know you're going to die puts a scale into your life, puts a relativity to be like, okay, I need to accomplish this because if I don't, I won't be able to because I'll be dead. Oh, wow. And so, okay. I mean, not to harp on about, you know, stoicism, but that book... Marcus Aurelius's meditation was originally just for himself. It was a personal diary, but what he found, and he is one of the five great, or so-called, one of the five great rulers, right? The last of the great rulers. And because he was such a good character to society, but because he also had really intrinsic values that he upholded, right? And one of my favorite things about Marcus Aurelius is it doesn't matter how you feel, you do. So, okay. so whether I wake up in the morning and I feel a certain way, that's irrelevant. Feelings you put to the side, but you have a duty, you have values that you hold close and you hold dear to. So you do those things. Okay. I mean, we, I've, we've talked about having, when you wake up in the morning, having a cold shower or going to the gym and all that. That's, no one feels like they want to do that. You, you know why I'm giggling? <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but the way you said it is, Marcus Aurelius had said some, something along these quotes. Yeah. Andrew Tate. <laughs> what a guy. He said the same thing. I'll yeah. probably get hung for this. But he was just like, yeah, you know, as a man or, as any person, you, you don't feel to do things, but you go and fucking do it. Absolutely, man. <laughs> so. I mean, that guy's interesting. But he has some he has some interesting thoughts that I kind of subscribe to as well. But one yeah. of them being yeah. that you have a duty to uphold. Okay. And I think death being that end for you gives a lot of value to what you're doing yeah. now. So it makes me want to work hard now okay. because I won't be able to later. That kind of idea. Yeah, that's, that's really well put. Um yeah, listen, I, I mean, we, we've covered all points. I could still go on for another hour or two with you, but yeah. um, uh, I'd love to just cap it off here and, and maybe we could continue another podcast. For sure. Another line. For sure. But, um, Absolutely. But dude, uh, cheers to that. Cheers, man. Um, I appreciate your time. And I, I hope, hopefully I'll get you down in the future and we'll, we'll, we'll do another episode. No, I, I enjoyed it, man. Yeah. And it's, I love that you're doing this podcast. Dude, the, the, the viewers will, will like this one if they actually are into their fucking health and their mental uh, fortitude. So nice. I'm hopeful for that. Good Cheers, night. mate. Okay.